Hi everybody and welcome to That UFO Podcast. My name's Andy. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Hi everyone and welcome to a very special That UFO podcast. I'm not going to waste too much time and get straight into the interview for this one because you are here for one reason and one reason only. Uh, For a long time I've made no secret the top of my wish list for guests on this podcast would be one Mr. Luis Elizondo, and I'm delighted to say I have Lou on the podcast with me now. Lou, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's uh, certainly my honor and privilege. Um, I sincerely appreciate your time and, of course, your audience's time as well. Listen, uh, it's, it's, it's no secret. People seek out your interviews and they troll through them with a fine-tooth comb to, to get any little nuggets of information they can. So hopefully we can get through as much on this interview as possible. The response from the listeners has been incredible. Um, I would just like to preface it by saying that I've watched your interviews recently with John Greenwald on Black Vault and Ryan Sprague, Somewhere in the Skies. I have tried to stay away from anything they talked about because they've done a good job with their interviews. And I would highly suggest and recommend people go and seek out those interviews for anything that I potentially don't cover. And I'd like to get straight into the first question, Lou. Um, Regarding your security clearance, this is something a lot of people bring up as a source of frustration when you can't answer a question in the way that they might not like you to. Can you start off just by talking a little bit about your clearance that you have, why you still have it, and what exactly that means? Yeah, sure. So uh, security clearance is, I think, a lot of times overcomplicated. Uh, if, if people on the outside haven't spent any time in the government, there's this giant mystery behind you know, a security clearance and what it means and, and the type of access of information you have. Here in the United States, we have three classifications of, of if you will, information um, besides unclassified. Unclassified isn't really a classification. It's, it's just unclassified information. Um, the three classifications are confidential, which is the first tier of information, secret, which is the second tier, and ultimately top secret information. Now, there's actually legal guidelines of what this, this information means from a from a top secret perspective, that means if information were to get compromised uh, and put out uh, into the public sphere, if an enemy were to gain access to that information, it would cause, quote unquote, grave or exceptional damage to the United States national security. So that's, in essence, why we classify information, particularly to protect sources and methods. That's very important because a lot of times information in itself might be unclassified, but how you collect that information um, can be very, very sensitive. And so that's why we classify information the way we do. In my case, because I was in the intelligence community for so long, in order to have the job that I have, the government insisted all of us with that particular, if you will, expertise in counterintelligence, intelligence, human intelligence, you have to have a top secret security clearance, meaning that you have to go through an extensive background investigation, psychological 
uh, evaluations and polygraphs to get access to certain information within within that caveat of top secret. And then within the top secret layer, think of a, 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 a layer cake, maybe a wedding cake that's got many different layers of frosting uh, throughout the cake. At the top secret level, people think, well, it's top secret information, uh, that's it. Well, there's actually some sub layers or strata, if you will, even within the top secret. And you have SCI, which is sensitive compartmented information. You have SAP information. And you've got these little, little cutouts that are within the top secret realm, but they are extremely nuanced, very, very sensitive. Um, again, because of the line of work that I was in, I was required to have that type of security clearance. Uh, when it comes to the UAP topic, when I am talking uh, about information, a lot of it is unclassified. The problem is how that unclassified information was obtained it was obtained through some very sensitive sources and methods. Obviously, we don't want as a nation to compromise those sources and methods. Otherwise, you can't use them ever again because you get compromised, uh, especially in the world of human intelligence. You're talking about people's lives when you're collecting information from another human being that probably shouldn't be telling you that information. There's a level of trust there that has to be exercised. And really to some degree, that person's life is now in your hands because if the country that they're from finds out that they're sharing information with you, it, it could be, well, that's that's considered spying technically uh, by, by a lot of other countries' uh, rules and, <laughs> and laws. Um, so, you know, in that shadowy world of intelligence and espionage, um, you have to have that level of, of, of security clearance. And there is a, a requirement. There's a, 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 if you will, an NDA, right? Non-disclosure agreement that you sign. And it's not like a, a company's non-disclosure agreement. It's far more comprehensive. It basically subjugates me to jail time. Uh, there are, are several acts like the U.S. Espionage Act, for example, that if I violate my tr the trust and confidence that the U.S. government has bestowed into me, and let's not forget that that trust and confidence is really a, a derivative of the people's trust and confidence, right? I, I represent the, the people of the United States, uh, they have trusted me with that level of, of, of security clearance, knowing that I would not share certain information. And if I violate that, I can go to jail. I can be prosecuted. Um, I can I, I can have a lot of things happening to me. Now, I think it's also important to say that when I tell people I can't discuss that uh, because of my security clearance, I'm not saying that because I'm necessarily afraid to go to jail. Um, I, I mean, obviously, I don't want to go to jail, but but it's because it's it's for me. It's a sacred. It's a sacred oath that I took. And that oath wasn't just to the U.S. government. It was to the American people. It's a bit like a marriage. When you when you make that oath till death do us part, it's an oath till death do us part. And it's not just to the partner you're making that commitment to. It's actually an oath you're making to yourself. So if I were to make an exception to that and violate that, that, that oath that I have sworn many, many years ago, everything else I've ever done uh, is is up for grabs too. I mean, if, if something that simple, my oath to the American people can be violated that simply by saying, well, I'm going to let you know something, um, then everything that I've ever stood for before, whether it's uh, you know going to war or, or conducting the operations I have on behalf of the American people, that is also up in question too. And I, I open up to, I'm sorry, that is also open up for questioning too. And so, um, you know, I, I, I take my oath seriously. Uh, ultimately, it's an oath I've made to the American people. It's the same oath that that I've made to my my daughters and my family. That that when I say I I take this responsibility seriously, 
I mean, I take a responsible, I take that responsibility seriously. Let, you know, I'm going to digress here just for a moment because three years ago when I first came out, there's a lot of stuff I could have said up front that probably would have saved me a lot of grief, a lot of sharpshooting by a lot of people. But I'm not going to sell out individuals and sources that I've worked with in the government just to save my ass. I'm not that kind of guy. I never have been. I never will be. So, you know, I know as, as more information comes to light, people are kind of frustrated saying, you know, Lou, why, why didn't you just say this three years ago or two years ago, you know, and all this guesswork that we had to do? Well, because I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not just going to go ahead and say something and compromise somebody else in the program just to save my credibility. That's not what this endeavor is about. It's not about satisfying satisfying the idle curiosity of people. And it's not about vindicating myself. It never has been. This is a much more profound journey about, about telling the American people the truth. And if that truth, the cost of telling the truth is at my own expense, as I've said before, then that's, 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 a, a, that's an easy solution for me. I'll, I'll do whatever I have to do to have that conversation. So I'd like to follow on from that. With that in mind, when you appeared on Fox News with Tucker Carlson, he asked if you believe the US government has debris from crashed UAP in its possession. Your response was, and I'll, I'll quote hopefully correctly here, simply put, yes, that's a big answer. How can you give that as an answer with that clearance in mind? Well, because I'm not saying the specifics. I'm not saying where it is, where it's from, uh, who collected it. Uh, Remember what he said. He said, do you believe that the U.S. government has material in its possession? Well, he's asking me my, my personal opinion. Uh, and and I, can, I can provide my personal opinion in that regard. I'm allowed to. Based upon the information I saw, I, I can say that because he's not asking me to say something to the effect of, um, for example, who collected the material? Where is it being stored? Uh, under whose authorities and auspices? What are its capabilities? What is it specifically made out of? That's not what the question was. He just simply asked me, do you believe there is recovered material? Anything beyond that, other than what I believe, now becomes stated fact. And now I have to be careful because that stated fact is based upon knowledge that I had as 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 a, a employee of the U.S. government. And that's why I was very specific when I said, you know, I, I have to be careful what I say here. I, I, I take a minute and I have to pause and I have to think about it because, you know, it's a it's a very fine line. There's there's a there's a ledge there and I'm tiptoeing pretty close to that ledge. And I, you know, one word, just one wrong word and I'm, I'm going to be over the edge. And, uh, you know, it, it, things can get very complicated for me. I would presume a background in counterintelligence helps you tiptoe that edge pretty well. Um, and it seems to have worked for you so far. Um, it's been well documented since your parting of ways with TTSA that it's been amicable and you've got a lot of friends there and, and you enjoyed your time there. Since then, have you been able to hold on to any projects you were involved with at the time with TTSA that you can continue to work on? What a good question. Very, very insightful. Thank you for asking that question. The answer is a wholehearted yes. Uh, there are efforts within TTSA that I'm still very much engaged with. That TTSA, now that it's refocusing uh, to the entertainment piece, um, I have the ability to run with some of these other efforts uh, in a way that doesn't interfere uh, or, or complicate what TTSA is trying to achieve and at the same time allows me the flexibility 
to, as I've said before, shift into second gear, basically uh, move this effort now into phase two. Any specifics around those that you can talk about? Um, not at this moment. I, I think very, very soon it'll be clear. Um, the reason why I don't want to talk about it is because they're in a delicate state of, um, of development. And what I don't want to do is say something right now prematurely. And, you know, let's say there's an organization out there that's very interested in partnering with us to bring this capability to full maturity, right? Um, I don't want to do anything to spook the herd. Um, this is still, I mean, it's still a, a very, it's still a very controversial topic that we're dealing with. We're talking about UAPs and, and frankly, we're just now getting to the point where I think it's becoming more accepted, but, but we haven't achieved that, that state of normalcy yet that we're all looking for. So I have to be careful. Stigma and taboo is still a, a very significant part of this conversation. And I have to tread very lightly and delicately sometimes. When you talk about stigma and taboo, normally with most people talking about that with me in this subject, I would say that, you know, that you can't tell me anything better, but given who I'm talking with, you probably can. And given what your line of work's been in the past as well. As part of those changes at TTSA, Steve Justice and Chris Mellon also left. What is your relationship with those gentlemen today? And do you still plan to collaborate on projects with them? Oh, yeah, daily. Uh, <laughs> should be no surprise that uh, we are in very uh, close collaboration, proximity from a perspective of collaboration. Uh, there's very little daylight. In fact, uh, I speak to, to Chris um, on, uh, on, a, on a daily basis. Uh, we are working very hard together. This has been a really, and forgive me for saying this, because people I think are going to look into this and they're going to misconstrue what I'm saying. Um, they're going to say, aha, see, I told you he was manipulating. Um, Chris and I, Chris is, 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 is absolutely the epitome of a strategist. He's probably one of the most intelligent human beings I have ever met. And I've met a lot of smart people. Um, we have been running this for the last three years, very much like you would a military or an intelligence campaign. Uh, there's five pillars of emphasis that we have been focusing on. And none of these pillars can ever become taller than the other. Think of putting a roof on, on, on a house, right? You can't have one side of the house taller than the other sides because then the roof gets cockeyed. So the five pillars are, uh, the first one has been legislative engagement. And that's in making sure that our, our senior elected officials in this country, the committees are properly briefed into the phenomenon. The next pillar has been senior executive uh, engagement on the executive branch, senior leadership. So um, that would be engaging those individuals in the executive branch uh, that need to be briefed. So, for example, um, everybody knows that in the last administration, the president had been briefed a few times. The secretaries of defense, secretary of defense was briefed, um, you know, the former director of the CIA. So it's now coming to light that these people were briefed. So that was the second pillar, executive um engagement, executive level of engagement. The third pillar has been international engagement, engaging those friends and allies in other countries, our counterparts that are interested in having this conversation. They're seeing something too, they never really wanted to say anything, but now that the US has stepped forward, they can reach forward and say, hey, you know, we'd like to talk to you about this topic because we've, we've got some questions. Like you saw with Japan recently, and they've come out and established a, a relationship with the United States for the explicit purposes of sharing UAP information. I mean, that, that's a big deal, right? And then the fourth pillar is media engagement, making sure that mainstream media has enough information 
Um, so they know they can have a, 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 an elevated conversation about the topic. We're no longer talking about tinfoil hats and Elvis on the mothership. We're talking about science. We're talking about quantum physics. We're talking about, about a real issue that we have right now, something that is in our skies. We don't know what it is. We don't know where it's from. We don't really know how it works, and there's not much we can do about it. Um, that's, 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 that's a tough discussion to have. And media is finally taking it seriously, um, despite this, you know, 70 some odd years of, of ridicule and, and, and bad Hollywood movies about the topic. And then the fifth pillar is, is, is engaging the masses, engaging people. And um, that is critically important. And so let me dissect a little bit about the five pillars. You don't ever want your legislative branch to get ahead of the ball uh, beyond your executive branch, because it takes both of them. You have people making laws and then people executing laws. So, so you never want to make sure that either the conservatives or liberals or anybody else has more information on the other side. This is a, a nonpartisan issue. It's everybody gets the same amount of information if you have the security clearance and you're in a position of authority. Then at the same time, um, when we talk about the media engagement and public engagement, that's critically important because both the executive branch and legislative branch are responsive to the people, period, full stop. Meaning, ultimately, we serve the people, not the other way around. The, the, the people do not serve the government. The government serves the people. That is in our constitution. And anybody who's forgotten that shouldn't be in government. So it is important that the people have as much information as they can to then enable their leadership, as we've been seeing right now, this tremendous effort within UFO Twitter to engage members of Congress, to engage the media, it's working. It's working. It's, it's people say, well, you're not sharing classified information. No, but I don't have to. We're, we're, we are achieving more with this grassroots effort uh, than ever by me just going and briefing Congress at the classified level. All of this has to happen simultaneously. It has to be deliberate. It has to be strategic. Uh, and it has to be purposeful. And, and I think, um, you know, it's, if people were to realize, just spend a day in our shoes, they'd realize it's, it's not that easy. I mean, it's, it's tough. And, you know, a lot of the playbook we're, we're writing as, as, as we're doing, it's kind of like building an airplane while you're flying it. Um, it's, it's kind of tough. And I don't want to take credit for it because I really can't. There's a, there's a lot of smart people that are working this effort behind the scenes, both inside the government and outside the government. Uh, it's, it's, you know, we make mistakes all the time. Um, but this is why, once again, UFO Twitter is so important because you guys have a lot of great ideas, a lot of things that we don't think about. And on a daily basis, as I'm reading through the Twitter sphere, I'm not reading comments on what people think about me. Quite frankly, I don't give a shit what people think about me. What I care is how people are taking the topic and if they have any new ideas and insights. And it's valuable. It's, it's paying off. We're able to then take some of those ideas, formulate them into a strategy, and then execute those strategies in a very meaning, meaningful, purposeful way, whether we're dealing with Congress or the U.S. government or foreign governments or the media. And that's great to hear. And uh, I would encourage people in the UK, particularly, which the, the conversations poor to non-existent, to check out uh, UAP Media UK, which is something we are trying to help with from a, a media perspective in the UK as well. Now, shifting tack slightly, Lou, uh, I want to ask you about your trip to pick up materials from the Bledsoe's. Now, the Bledsoe's are a family with an immense interest, particularly in the UFO UAP community. Are you still in contact with Chris and his family? And what's the status of the project there? You know, Chris is a wonderful gentleman. I've had the, the, the pleasure of meeting him twice uh, in person. 
Um, that meeting was really facilitated through one of my former colleagues uh, at the time, uh, Tom DeLong and Jim Semivan. Um, I, you know, I, I cannot substantiate publicly uh, the claims they have. I believe uh, in my heart of hearts that they truly believe what they're experiencing. And at the same time, it actually may be correct. I don't know. The problem is it's, it's very subjective, uh, which a lot of stuff is in this field is subjective. So, so I'm not saying that it's, it, it's true or it's not true. What I'm simply saying is that at the end of the day, we have to use methodologies that, can, that, that conform to the scientific principles of, of science. And that means you know peer review and this has to be repeatable and, and things like that. Otherwise, it's just anecdotal. Um, again, I'm not I'm not diminishing the value or the reality of what they are experiencing. Um, I, I'm pretty certain there's a lot a lot of strange things happening there, uh, very similar to Skinwalker Ranch. But the problem is I have to remain focused. I I have to remain focused on on the UAP issue that we're dealing with right now. And people are going to say, well, it is related. Well, okay, fine. But again, I've got no data to prove that. You know, I, I don't know what's going on over there regarding the blood cells other than what's been reported. And so for me, um, you know, I, I'm not saying it's, it's not valid or relevant. I just don't have enough data yet to, to make any type of conclusive uh, decision if it fits into the calculus of the effort we're on. Because I can't go to Cong a member of Congress or a senior member of the executive department and say, oh, by the way, these people are having these, these paranormal experiences over there. We should listen to them. That that's not going to get me very far. I have to, you know, what what's what's so I think compelling about the UAP issue is that you have human beings which are trained observers, right? Think of a human being as no no different than any other intelligence collection system. So you have human beings that are that are that are identifying something occurring, which is backed up then and collected on electro-optical data like gun camera footage, which is also backed up by by electromagnetic information like radar, right? And all of a sudden, now you have three different separate collection capabilities, all looking at the same thing at the same time in the same place under the same circumstances. That's data that I can I can then present in a meaningful way to decision makers. That that is is a much um, easier approach, at least for me and my colleagues, um, to to achieve mission success. And again, I don't want to disparage in any way. Uh, the blood cells or anybody else who has their own personal experiences, because that's why they're called personal experiences. They're personal. Um, but, but right now I can't include that in my calculus. It's, it's a lovely family, very wonderful family. And I have no reason to believe that, that Mr. Bledsoe or his family are lying or, or deceiving in any way. Um, but again, that data just, I, I can't incorporate it into the current calculus that I'm using, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And you mentioned Skinwalker Ranch. Now, I've spoken with Brandon Fugo and he'll be on the podcast soon, hopefully. Um, himself, Bob Bigelow, both former and present owner of Skinwalker Ranch, have had their own scientific experiments going on. Um, some data released, you know, a good TV show has, has come out as part of that as well, which the second season is due soon. But they are still ongoing scientific experiences and experiments, sorry. They have both said, and others around Skinwalker Ranch, that it comes with somewhat of a sticky portfolio. And this topic and subject, if you want to put the phenomena under an umbrella, have you ever had any experiences like that yourself? Uh, wow. 
again, great question. Uh, and one, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm going to politely sidestep at this time. Um, uh, uh, you know, that was a, that was, um, that was many years ago and, uh, uh, a lot of uh, effort and talent was put into that. Um, I am aware of, of what they were doing, um, but I think that's. I, I think probably. I think I'll sidestep this question because um, I really am not the right guy to answer that question you just uh, asked me. Um, have I had any personal experiences? Uh, if I did or I did not, I'm not sure if that impacts. Um, the ongoing effort right now that we're engaged with. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't want to prejudice the jury. It's important as a, as an investigator, I try to remain as, as fair and impartial and objective as possible and introducing, uh, my own personal feelings or beliefs or observations about that. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure is, is overly helpful. Um, I'd probably rely on individuals that were more involved with that effort to to answer that question. That's when I'll save for part three or part four with Luella Zondo in years to come, potentially, and ask that again. Very good. Uh, <laughs> uh, can you talk on the work you were doing with, uh, or you're going to be doing with the Lakota tribe? Uh, there seems to be a strong connection between Native American tribes and the phenomena itself. Well, damn, once again, you're asking great questions. And I'll answer that one. Um, yes, I, I, we are absolutely uh, engaged in that effort. Um, let's not forget that the, the First Nations of Saskatchewan, and oh, frankly, most indigenous peoples um, have oral traditions that go back in some cases thousands and thousands of years, prehistory from our perspective. And to very much the same that an F-18 pilot is a trained observer uh, when flying a combat mission, um, indigenous people are trained observers when it comes to their land. And um, although it might come from a slightly different paradigm than we're used to in the Western world, uh, indigenous people have a profound sense of history. And uh, that, that it, it, is, it is that history that we are very curious to see if we can see some of the same patterns that we see in, um, in the current effort regarding ATIP. But even more importantly than that, I think, I think all indigenous people have, have lessons that we can learn from. I think we, in a, in a, we live in a very materialistic world uh, that is heavily dependent upon technology. And um, you know, indigenous people for, for millennia have gotten along just fine without it. And uh, their, their, their sense of government and their sense of organization, their sense of fairness uh, is, is truly profound. And I think if we can show the world just a little bit of that beauty, uh, we, we might be better off. We might be better off as a civilization. We might be better off as a race, as a species. Um, I'm not going to go into detail, but when I when I had the the, the distinct uh, honor of going up and meeting the the, the chief and the elders of uh, of the bands um, with the Lakota Dakota bands that they prefer to be called bands, um, it was a it was a profound experience for me. It was it was um, it was an epiphany. Um, I, I learned so much in that brief time I had with them. And again, I, I don't want to share the specific instances because 
I would like to eventually provide that in a much more professional manner uh, for everybody to see. But um, it was it was nothing no, nothing less than soul shaking, and I mean that sincerely. Uh, I, I realize there's a whole other aspect to humanity that we have seen to forget. And indigenous people have, despite the challenges they have faced over the years, whether it's disease or, or being moved against their will to reservations and the hardships and the discrimination that they have faced over and over again, somehow they were able to maintain their dignity and, and their humanity. And um, for me, it, it was a, it was an understanding of resilience and that the, that there is an indelible part of the human being, whether you call it the soul or the id or the chi or whatever, whatever nom du jour you want to give it, there's an element beyond the, the biomass of a human body and beyond the electrical synapses of the human brain and the intellect that makes each and every one of us distinct. And, and I learned that um, there's, there's, there's great beauty in that. And, um, you know, coming from up from a hard investigator who has been always just a facts, ma'am kind of guy, you know, there's another aspect to being human here that um, not just me, but maybe maybe other people have forgotten as well. And so I want to be able to to tell that that story in a, in a very elevated way and, and share that with other people and see if they have the same, you know, uh, same reaction that that I did. I would look forward to that coming to fruition. And uh, I think people would be screaming at their podcast devices just now on a lot of different questions we could go off on a tangent with there, but we'll save save those for another day. I've made no secret for a long time on this podcast, Lou. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Unidentified. Um, The tone it struck was perfect. It was something I was very much looking forward to. Um, Given it seems now there'll be no season three, um, can you speak about what you would have liked that to look like? And I would also like you to comment. I interviewed Anthony LePay, producer of the show, and he mentioned on my interview with him that there had been contact with people from NASA who just weren't quite ready to go on the record. Uh, could you comment yeah. on that as well? Yeah, so the two questions. Um, what would I like to see in episode three? Nothing. Um, but the answer is simply put, nothing. We we made a decision, Chris Mellon and I, early on that we only wanted to do two seasons. Um, that was, it was a, a short relationship with history channel. They agreed. This was never intended to be uh, a long protracted show where we just artificially generate material for the sake of having a show. Um, we, it was a target of opportunity, um, that was never meant to be enduring. Uh, we are now working on some of these, those enduring capabilities, but as we shift from from you know phase one to phase two or first gear to second gear, um, history had its role and it, it was very impactful and it did exactly what we intended it to do. But make no mistake, the History Channel uh, effort was not ever it was never intended to be a long term uh, effort for us. Uh, it was always a short term. It was to get the conversation going, and then depending how that went, move on to something else. Um, so that's, that's the first part. The second part you asked me about Anthony LaPay and people from NASA. Look, I get emails every day. It's not just NASA, it's NASA, it's FAA, it's Department of Energy. Very, very senior people now are finally coming forward and wanting to have this conversation. Um, I think it's, uh, 
And I think it's a good thing. Um, Anthony LePay is absolutely right, but we also have people from other countries and senior officials in their intelligence community and their government apparatus coming forward. And that's, I think, um, I think it's indicative of the sign of the times. The conversation is shifting. And again, I want to go back to the UFO Twitter world because that's in large part because of you, of what you're doing. I'm only one voice, but you guys are many. And I, I think the beauty about this uh, is that we are no longer uh, a, a, if you will, an enclave. I think what you're seeing with UFO Twitter is, is very quickly becoming an army. Uh, and that's, that's, that's a lot different. It's not a, it, it's becoming a, a, I don't know if I want to say the word movement because it's used too much and movements can sometimes used to be, to do bad things just like they can to be used to do good things. Uh, but in my case, I, I think, I think the UFO Twitter universe has, has helped tremendously in this effort and it's getting people to come out and talk when you look on Twitter, I know for an absolute fact there are several pseudo handles on there that are very senior government officials that I personally know. And they create these fake accounts just so they can get a pulse so that they can so they can monitor what's going on. And that's that's remarkable. You are helping influence right now the conversation here in the United States. That's amazing. So by the way, let me uh, um, also, if I can apologize real quick, you hear me kind of inhaling a lot. Um, I recently got over COVID, so I, I still have a little bit of a short breath, shortness of breath. I apologize if it comes across that I've just finished running a marathon. Not <laughs> it not actually not feels like I just did. Uh, so I, I apologize. I, I promise you uh, I'm, I'm not uh, working out secretly, you know, underneath <laughs> the table here and trying to get my exercise in. I just, unfortunately, it's it's part of the, um, you know, the COVID no, absolutely. Glad, you, glad you've recovered from that as well. And uh, you've made no secret you're a bit of a petrol head. You talk about gear one to gear two. Um, would it be fair if Unidentified was part of the first gear that the untitled UAP project that Sean Cahill, Jeremy McGowan, and you've been involved in with some of the other guys and producers would be part of second gear? Yes, absolutely. And there's other, other efforts as well. That's just one. Uh, we have multiple verticals that we're looking at to continue the conversation in a much more impactful, broad way. Now that the topic has finally been taken seriously, uh, I think uh, throughout many parts of the world, the time is to put this into, into a higher gear. And really, as I've always said, push the pedal to the metal. I know you don't normally speak for other people, but I'm going to quote someone here and just ask you for your thoughts. At the end of Unidentified Season 2, Chris Mellon had a rather lovely monologue to finish off. Um, he said that the tech is not ours, not Russia's, and not China's. Does this, for you, definitively put to bed the notion that UAP, um, they're not made by human hands? Look, uh, in order to have a conversation with people, you, you don't eat the elephant in one bite. You, you, have, to, you have to eat it in bite-sized, consumable pieces that you can then digest. Otherwise, you're going to choke. Um, I've said it for the record before. We are we are absolutely sure it's not ours. We're pretty damn sure it's not foreign. Um, you know, I, I don't know how more clear to say that this is this is not our technology. Um, if it was, I, I, I don't think you'd be seeing this kind of effort. First of all, we would have figured it out a long time ago that this is some sort of Russian or Chinese technology, right? And then we would have had a counter technology very quickly. Uh, you know, it. 
no, it's, it's, it's not ours. And I, I know it's uneasy for people to think about that, uh, but it's okay because it's been here for a while and we're still here and religions haven't collapsed and, and governments haven't imploded. Uh, this is just another wondrous mystery of the universe. And with that comes some, some hope and opportunity, but also, you know, we have to exercise some, some, some due diligence and, and pragmatic caution here. You know, I, I'm not the kind of guy that's just going to go running into a, into a, a dark room uh, with my hands in the air, you know, and, and blindly because you, you bump into things. I think we need to approach this like we do everything else very cautiously. Um, you know, we know the moon is right there, but yet we don't just throw people up with rockets and send them to the moon. You know, there, there's a lot that has to happen to, 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 to do that. And I think to some degree, this may be kind of similar in that, uh, you know, there's, there's, we have to be very careful, cautious, and deliberate in, uh, how we, we ask the questions and, and the answers that we get back. Um, we're, it's very tempting for us to all go down the rabbit hole very quickly and think we have the answer. I see it all the time. And my word of caution to that is please, please, please try your best to, to, to be victim of your own analytic bias. I, I look, I, I'm, I, I suffer from it just like everybody else. I'm no superhero. I, I had the same, same challenges when I, when I see something, I had this temptation to, to jump to a conclusion. Oh, it must be that. And that's the way the human brain is wired. That's, that's a human thing. The very first thing we do coming out of our mother's womb is recognizes we recognize her sound and her face and her touch. We are programmed as a species to recognize patterns and identify friend or foe. That is what nature has evolved us to be. And so it's natural that when you come up to, to an enigma like this and you get some answers that we want to jump to conclusions of what something is or is not. But we really have to, we have to be very careful and not be tempted to do that prematurely. We really need to let the scientific process and methodologies work. And, and I think once we can do that, we, we may have some, you know, surprise, some, some, some surprisingly uh, simple answers. You've you've led me very nicely onto this next question because I'm actually going to throw back at you a question you once asked on a piece you'd done. The YouTube video's out there. I'm not too sure of the context behind it, but uh, it was certainly something that stuck with me and a lot of other people as well. And, and you asked once for people to consider what if it wasn't mankind, but mankind's? And what would that mean for us? Could you elaborate on that? Because that's something people go back to more and more. And as more or less hypothetical that's what i'm going to put it as but people would assume you come from a better understanding a place of knowledge than most would um yeah wow uh boy you're getting some really really good and, and personal questions um let me see if i can answer that in a meaningful way without um without leading leading the witness um we live in a three-dimensional world. Um, we live in a three-dimensional world where time is a function of the fourth dimension, if you will. And we experience time as being linear. It's a linear function or a process. Uh, but we now know in the quantum world that time, first of all, we know that space and time, because of the work of Einstein and others, that space and time are, are joined together. 
And we know that space-time is flexible. It's called relativity. And we see it around massive objects all the time, not just Earth, but the sun, black holes. So the linear universe that we experience, um, to some degree, really isn't. And when you look at the quantum state of things, even an electron, for example, uh, you learn in high school that an electron orbits an atom. And we now know that's really a very simplistic way of looking at things. The electron doesn't orbit around the atom. In fact, it's called an electron cloud because the electron is is both all in all places and none of the places all at the same time. It's, it's kind of weird, but my point being is that if you were to look at time and think of a, think of a cigarette burning, uh, when you look at the notion of the future, most people would, would define the future as those events that have not yet happened. And the past is defined by events that have already happened. And when you look at that construct, then the definition of the present must be a, a moment in space-time, probably measured in playing time, very infinitesimal, in, infinitesimally small moment of space-time where the future is transitioning into the past. It's, 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 it's not a point in time. It's a process. It's an event that's occurring. So a way to look at that in lay perspective is think of a cigarette or a cigar. That parts of the cigar that have already burnt or the cigarette that have already burnt to ash is the past. That part of the cigarette or cigar that has not yet burned is the future. And the cherry, that moment of ignition, that spark of where the future is now beginning consumed and becoming the past, that is the present. And we as human beings, we live at that moment, all of our hopes, our fears, our memories, love, hate, good, bad, all that is an expression of, of an experience that occurs um, at an infinitesimally small moment of space time. Like I said, probably measured in playing time. That is how we, 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 we experience the present. But what if there were things that had the ability to experience where, where the present was a much bigger cherry, if you will, a much bigger transition where more elements of the future and the past are experienced as in the present uh, and can do that also physically, right? So it's not just not just uh, uh, a, a, an idea, but uh, what if there were species out there that, that experienced the universe uh, in a, in a, with, a, with an extra level of dimension? And so you and I are having this conversation right now with your audience, and we're having this conversation right here, right now. But if I were to have the ability to have this conversation right here, but five minutes ago or five minutes from now, we would never meet. We'd be like two ships passing in the night. Um, is it possible that maybe some of these things, these UAP have the ability, uh, we experience in them, we, we experience them when they are right here, right now. And every other, every other time we, we don't because we're simply not intersecting uh, with that, with that uh, extra dimensional space of, of, of time. Um, you know, when you look at that cigarette or cigar burning, you'll notice that it never burns evenly. When you look at it up close and you can kind of remove the glare and the flare from the, from the burn, we, we realize that, that there are portions of the future, of the portions of the cigar that haven't burned yet uh, behind portions of the cigar that already has burned. It's, it's not an even burn. Almost and an quantum, there's an overlap, right? And and quantum theory uh, is beginning to to show some of the models for that. So um, I, I know I'm going in a very long-winded roundabout way to answer your question about what I meant about mankind's, but I guess my answer to that is it's limitless. 
we every time we put a a limitation on mother nature she defies our our box she defies the parameters for which we set every time we say every living thing needs water or oxygen we realize that there are 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 my, microbial life out there that that are anaerobic they in fact they'll die if you put oxygen they 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 like a non-oxygenated environment right you have these extremophiles living at the bottom of the ocean and 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 miles below the 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 arctic ice Th- this defies any any definition of life in fact a virus itself in one case you can make the the I think you can make the claim that it is a living organism because it replicates and it does a lot of things that a living organism does. But it also can be defined as a non-living thing because it doesn't have DNA and it doesn't have a lot of the things that we clearly associate associate with a living organism, like respiratory functions, right? Like uh, anabolic activity. So I, I think we need to be very cautious how we define life. Uh, a long time ago, we used to defy, define life uh, as uh, mammals, birds, and fish. Well, you know, that's probably a very oversimplistic view of what life is. We're spending billions of dollars through NASA trying to find microbial life right now on some of our, our planets in our own solar system and moons. Because it is, it is, it, we think that there's a very good possibility that exists. SETI does the same thing with radio transmissions, trying to find a signature of life out there. And what we're beginning to find out is that it is more likely than not that there is life out there and that life might be fairly abundant. Um, so, uh, boy, um, that's one hell of a question you asked me. Well, that was one hell of an answer. And just given the answer you've given us, I want to actually finish off this portion of the interview with the time we have left to try and get some listener questions in soon as well talking a little bit about your past and actually the future as well. It's well known you resigned from your position at ATIP. Uh, that was to try and push forward this conversation to the wider public. A lot of people, including myself, would thank you for doing that. I would like to know how it made you feel having to resign from that position. That's not something I've heard anyone ask you before. Well, it was the toughest, toughest decision I ever made in my life. Um, it was my, you know, there, there's, there's, two components that that make up Luis Elizondo. There is the private component uh, as a family family man and a father. And then there is my my other component that I feel for me as as, as a patriot to my country. And uh, I, I I believe in the idea you know I I I, I believe in a life of service. Um, I believe in, in leaving this country and this world in a little bit better shape than you found it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't expect everybody to feel that way. Just to me, I do because of the way I was brought up and my, my, the, the struggles my family had to go through even just to be in this country. So, so for me, it's, it's, um, it's a very sincere and, and uh, profound commitment I have. And so when I left the government, you know, to, in one hand, I felt like I was abandoning the very establishment uh, that that I was committed to to serve the American people, you know. By de facto, I felt like I was abandoning the American people because I was doing jobs that were very important for the government and for the American people. 
But in order to serve the American people, I actually had to leave the organization that I love to do it. In order to, I, I realize that I'm going to have to make a choice. Do I serve the institution that I belong to or do I serve the American people? And I realized that, that in order to serve the American people, I would have to leave the organization, the institution that I was serving to serve the American people. Um, it was extremely tough for me. Um, it's, you know, uh, you can't see this, but on my desk, I have all these around my office here, my momentum. You know, I'll show you just for a quick second. Give your audience a quick tour here. I don't do this very often, but uh, let me see if I can do this for a sec. Um, you can see very quickly uh, a lot of my my life is in these walls, and uh, you know it's it's part of part of who I am. And uh, to to leave that is very was very challenging. Was very tough. Um, I I mean I don't know what else to say. It's, well, uh, well, with that action. That, that you took and it was a big decision that affected your life, your family, your future. You started a, a sequence of events and a ball rolling, which you'll be, you're more than humble enough to say other people were, were heavily involved in with you as well. So we are now counting down 144 days as of recording. Uh, my co-host Dan got that for me to seeing a declassified report from the UAP task force. You have spoken several times now that we're in good hands with those overseeing this. Why should people be excited about the report coming out, but also beyond that, what can we expect to come from the task force itself? Okay, great question. Um, let me let me try to get you a, um, a, a, a comprehensive and meaningful response. Uh, I think it is a tremendous accomplishment that uh, Congress has asked the Director of National Intelligence for a 180-day report. Um, it, it shows that there was commitment and interest by Congress and that there's a willingness by the executive branch and the government. So that's, that, that is a win scenario right there. The question is, A, is 180 days long enough to provide a comprehensive report that Congress deserves? And two, will all the relevant information be in there in order for Congress to make informed decisions? Um, if it was up to me, I would probably request a 180-day extension. Now, I know people right now are going to be probably lining up with pitchforks wanting to, uh, to, to burn my house down. But uh, as I've said before, there's a difference between doing something right and doing it right now. And I prefer we got one shot to do this right. So uh, we've come this far. We we've waited this long. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be opposed to a, to a little bit longer just to make sure that we we get it right. There's a lot happening between COVID, of course, the pandemic, and then of course we have a, a new administration coming in, and they're trying to get their feet on the ground. The transition process takes at least 180 days, uh, and of course we still have you know our regular jobs trying to protect this country. So, um, you know, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, as you say now, 144 days is 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 long enough. Um, I'm not sure that we have a a an adequate structure within a task force to answer the mail on that. I think what we need is a permanent capability, not just a task force uh, that is that is properly resourced with with the right talent. Uh, and, and the right authorities to do what it needs to do. Look, the people in the task force are amazing human beings. They're friends of mine. 
dear friends. I, I'll, I'll go to combat tomorrow with them and, and I'll die with them. But they've been given an impossible task. It, they've been, in, to some degree, the same task that I was given uh, when I was an ATIP. It's, 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 it's not enough. You can't expect just a handful of people to provide this information that has historically been, been sitting with, within 17 different intelligence agencies uh, in various little pockets and enclaves for decades. Um, I mean, it, it takes longer to build a house than it does to, in this case, than 180 days. And, and we're expecting a, a comprehensive government, whole government approach to this, to this topic. Um, you know, if, if, to me, if you were to ask me, I think, I think the task force is being set up for failure and not by Congress. And I don't think it's deliberate. I think, I think we need to take a step back and I think we really need to, to assess what is it we're trying to achieve. And then let's set up these people for success. You know, if we really want the right answers, well, then we got to be prepared to 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 give them the necessary resources to do this. Otherwise, you know, you're, all you're doing is setting up a bunch of patriots for failure and 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 putting frustration into the system. Lou, just to get a, a couple of listener questions, and I've got one more question for you. If your part in all of this ended tomorrow, would you be satisfied? You know, I wish. Well, I, I wish my part would end tomorrow. Um, I'm I'm pretty tired. I'm, I'm pretty tired. I've, I've, you know, I don't know how much more I can I can really give. I've given you know my life savings to this, and I've given my relationships to this. Um, you know, uh, would I be satisfied? Um, I haven't had the opportunity or the luxury to sit back and and really relish in the accomplishments we've we've collectively achieved so uh, i've been too focused on the mission um, i will say something that's been very heartfelt um, i shared this with some very close friends of mine i was looking on twitter and some some people in an incredible uh gesture of kindness offered to set up a um a gofundme page or something like that where they were going to you know contribute because i guess the cat's gotten out of the bag that i've 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 uh put my life savings into this because you know it's it's a it's an endeavor that doesn't make money <laughs> you know if you're looking to make money this is not the topic to pursue at least yeah. not right now um my I, I i am truly profoundly humbled by that gesture but let me also say this if you want to honor what what i what what i'm doing you want to honor any sacrifice that i've made in this don't spend money on me take that money that you have Take your 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 wife, your husband, your boyfriend, your girlfriends, your kids. Take them to a dinner, spend time with them, and and, and just connect, and and and, and be a family. Um, you want to honor me? That would be the, the the best best way to honor me. Don't 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 set anything up for me. You know, uh, I I can I can I can go work at a supermarket if I need to. I got to turn wrenches right. I can I can fix cars. Um, this journey is not about me. It's about the collective, all of us. Uh, I, I would be, I would be much happier if you were to to save your hard-earned money, and and you know, uh, go to a nice dinner with your family and, and, and talk about things that are important. Maybe talk about UAPs, right? That'd be a great way. 
Yeah, my kids, my kids like lying on the trampoline looking at the stars and they're, they're four and two and they've got their little toilet roll holders they've got, they've made for binoculars to pretend to look for aliens. So they're, they're on the way to carry on that conversation. Lou, right. so many people, you're a very popular character and I know that's something you tend to shy away from, the, the, the attention that you get as well. You don't crave it, which I think draws a lot of people to you as well, unfortunately. So many people wrote in with questions. I'd just like to put a couple of those to you and in a 60 second quick fire. Um, Craig Labadi uh, may during your recent interview with John Greenwald, you mentioned there were certain videos that had blown your mind. You talked about doing mental gymnastics to work out how a particular object have, could have done the manoeuvres it done. So his question for you, are those types of videos and that type of data held by multiple governments? Is that rare or is that data more common than one might think? I think you'll be surprised that that data might be more common than you think. Um... The problem is there were never really any mechanisms to do anything with that data. So they are they are in in um, bits and pieces, if you will, uh, throughout uh, different governments. But uh, yeah, there's some very there's some very compelling data. Um, you know, in some cases, you get these things 50 feet away from the cockpit. I mean, that's you know, at that point, there ain't no question what you're looking at. Um, so. I have to ask you this one from Doug Campbell. Lou, regarding something I read or heard possibly on a podcast, um, it stated at one point that you had considered being a psychic spy. Is that at all true? Or, and have you ever practiced remote viewing? Damn. Uh, you know, Hal, Hal Pudoff and I are, are, are good friends. Um, Hal and uh, his colleagues were involved in some remarkable stuff. Uh, um Project Stargate and before that Grill Flame and whatnot. It's no surprise that the Department of the Army and, and at some point the De Defense Intelligence Agency were were involved in that effort. Um, I, uh, I I'm not going to elaborate. Um, great question. Uh, maybe maybe for some other time. I like that one too. And the last listener question, sorry to everyone who I didn't get to, hopefully the body of the interview answered some as well. But like Lou said, hopefully comes back one day to answer some more. Uh, Leaf asked, was there any particular reason that the three videos that were released, the gimbal, Go Fast and Fleer, were the ones that were chosen to be released? Yes. Good answer. I won't probe you further on that. I feel that would be a bit fruitless. Uh, listen, quick fire round before we let you go, Lou. A uh, couple of topics and subjects we've not managed to talk about yet or talk too much on. You can say a word, a couple of words or a sentence. It's up to you. The first one is Skinwalker Ranch. Um, a very perplexing place. Uh, I have the utmost respect for the men and women that were involved in that project. Next one is Bob Lazar. I've never met the gentleman. Uh, I have no comment either way. Um, I, I, I have uh, absolutely zero interaction with Mr. Lazar uh, as, a, as a human being, uh, both personally and professionally. So therefore I, I, I reserve my comment because I simply don't, I don't have an opinion. I'm not, I don't have an opinion Either way, and I'm just keeping it to myself, I truly don't have an opinion. It's never been factored into my calculus. Certainly. Yeah. CE5. Well, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, I, I have a hard problem, personal problem, with, with anybody charging for, for, for services. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, for me, um, this is not a money-making endeavor. Uh, I, think, I think we pervert 
the truth when we do make it a money-making endeavor. I think um, all sorts of things uh, get introduced into the mix when this becomes about profit. Um, and that's with anybody. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not saying you have to starve and, and you know, but, but profiting off of other people in search for the truth, I find despicable. Um, you know, uh, that's one of the reasons why I don't really do entertainment. I, I prefer doing infotainment. Inf I don't mind information being entertaining, but entertainment for the sake of entertainment, I, I'm, that's not me. I'm, I'm not an entertainer. Uh, I, I want to help inform. Um, I think, uh, you know, there are a lot of, as I said before, hucksters and fraudsters out there, and it's coming to light. And, you know, people are, there's some savvy investigators now that are hot on the trail of some of these individuals who spent the last several years, if not decades, defrauding people. And, uh, you know, all I got to say is, uh, you know, sucks to be you. You shouldn't have done that. Shame on you. Um, you know, uh, the, the truth, <laughs> I, t I said this years ago, you know, there's something funny about the truth. Um, the truth she sometimes whispers, so you have to listen carefully. But if, but but she she always speaks, and ultimately the truth always comes out. So uh, my advice would be for anybody if 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 you're into CE five, if that's a real thing, then great. And I would ask that you be able to demonstrate it in front of a camera, in front of a large audience, um, and repeat it. Right, scientific method, make it make it repeatable and something that can be peer reviewed. Otherwise. It's just your opinion. I would ask, does the truth whisper mankind or mankinds? Well, well. Uh, how about you tell me? I would go mankinds. That's with plural, with the S, uh, with the Scottish I, I think, accent. I, I, think, I, I, think, I think I would too. I think uh, that's... And Lou, to finish up the show, appreciating your time, what does disclosure mean to you? Oh. Uh, well, I think we'll know it when we see it. Uh, I think we're in the process of disclosure right now. I think in five years when we look back, we're going to realize we were in the middle of disclosure. Um, I, I said before, disclosure is a process. It's not an event. Um, I think uh, disclosure means a, a, a willingness to recognize the truth and begin to discuss um, facts in a way that is transparent and open for all people to participate in all people not just one institution not just one government not just one country everybody and i think that is what disclosure is about it's the recognition that the earth is not at the center of the solar system and you know sometimes it's it's hard to tell that truth in the beginning but ultimately it becomes self-evident and I think we are in that process now. I think we are in the throes of realizing that the earth is not in the center of our solar system. Um, and again, with that, I think there's, there's a lot of hope. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, but let's not jump to conclusions. You know, let's, let's maintain the course of being diligent and deliberate and methodical uh, and, and, you know, open-minded. To, to the best of our ability while, while trying to maintain um, our, our dedication to the scientific process. Lou, it's been an honour, genuinely, and a pleasure speaking to you. Uh, and I look forward to the day I can welcome you back on again for that second part.
anytime, I will tell you this is a true, true pleasure for me. I want to answer one question for you that you haven't asked, but I know some of your viewers are asking. Why am I doing these podcasts? Why am I, is there an attempt by me? Is there a media blitz that I'm involved with in order to achieve something? Well, the answer is yes. And that yes is that um, part of phase two, from my opinion, is getting the word out to anybody and everybody. As you know, I don't make a penny doing these. I don't charge anybody. I don't get an appearance fee for doing this. Uh, it takes a lot of time of my day, but I do it because it's important. Um, I do it because it is making a difference. We're finally having the conversation. And even if you disagree with my perspective, it's okay because the conversation is still happening. Even if you don't agree with, with how I'm doing things and the way we're doing things, that's still good. That's okay because you don't have to agree with me. You don't have to be in my camp or my team. I don't need that. I just need you having the conversation and it's happening. So, uh, you know, my hat's off really to you and to your listeners. Thank you for what you do. Uh, thank you for what your listeners uh, do, taking time out of their day when they probably should be doing something, uh, you know, productive um, for their family or for their work. And instead, they're taking the time to listen to this podcast. Uh, maybe these people are just getting off work, right, and are tired and, and want to make dinner for themselves. But instead, they're, they're, they're listening into this podcast. You know, thank you. Thank you for doing that. This is, this is a mutual conversation. I get just as much out of this dialogue as you and your listeners do, I assure you. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, UAPAM. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. <laughs>